Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. Reed, I um, don't have my uh, smelly cat voice going this time, even though I am just getting over my own COVID uh, <laughs> infection. So I guess you don't get – I'd rather have the sinus infection when we go to record a podcast than, ha- than be getting over COVID because uh, at least I got the, the baritone with that one. But I'm back. Yeah, you did – you did get some benefit out of that. Sounded like a sexy man there for a few weeks. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Finally, sure. talk about acknowledging. I need you to acknowledge that <laughs> long enough. Uh, well, anyways, uh, today we're uh, talking with Rayanne. And Rayanne's one of the, uh, I guess she's actually, she might be the third most senior uh, client service person that we have on on the Coles team. But she has been doing a lot of work when it comes to um, ultra luxury apartments. And she, uh, I guess she was saying since August, she'd been doing a lot of studying and pulling a lot of figures together on, on campaigns. And, um, anyways, we got her scheduled to, to give her secrets. So what'd you think? I thought she was great. It's definitely interesting, um, for a lot of different reasons, but, um, for us, you know, coming from a marketing side, it's like, what changes when you're trying to market one of these super luxury properties. And uh, I thought she laid it out beautifully. Like some of the other channels, you probably want to incorporate some best practices, um, even, you know, tied to SEO, things like that. Just uh, things that uh, you probably should change or tweak. There's definitely some uh, overlap between how we typically would approach a class A. um, But then there's some some clear distinctions, I guess, and how you'd be thinking about these super luxury. One of the hardest things right now, we don't have this data yet, but is how to uh, really define super luxury. So she does walk us through that, like at least in how she thought about it. But from a cost per square foot, for example, where does that sit? And I, you and I were talking a little offline just about in Seattle, what that might look like, you know, with Amazon and Microsoft, you know, you have million, you know, highest per capita millionaires probably in the country versus, uh, you know, an average market, um, even I'll include Denver in that. So all that stuff is fascinating to me and maybe things we can pick up, uh, you know, the remainder of this, uh, remainder of this year, but be on the lookout. Cause I think Rand's also going to try and do some videos on this and stuff too. So definitely great content. Yeah. There's going to be a blog, uh, published in the next month as well as, as you're saying, read uh, some takeaways that'll be done in video form and put on uh, the channel, the YouTube channel. Um, I was surprised that, uh, she told us this afterwards cause I didn't ask her while we were on, but she said that, um, there were 13 accounts that qualified as ultra luxury or super luxury, um, that she worked on. And she said that wasn't every, all of the accounts that we had, but it was the ones that she had easy access to that she had pulled together. And that's a, a decent amount of accounts to pull, to pull back some assumptions. Um, and to do the quick math, that's what 1.6% of our accounts are super luxury. So not bad. Yeah. I mean, I, it didn't surprise me as much. I, I would have expected a number like that or a little bit more. The reason I say this is we typically work with class A, you know, that that's overwhelmingly, you know, our, our kind of portfolio, I guess, or what comprises it. And so I feel like a lot of our clients have that one property, (laughs) you know, I won't name names, but where they're like, we typically do class A, but there's this one developer or this one property that's like super luxury um, that, you know, we're excited about or, you know, we're not sure what to think about it. You know, it it often feels exploratory. Um, 
meaning I don't know too many management companies that it's like, all we do is represent super luxury. I feel like it's usually out of their comfort zone. And so that's probably the value of this podcast, you know, and trying to better understand when you have one of those outliers in your portfolio, you know, what, what should be, um, you know, some of the, I guess, different strategies or approaches you might take with something like that. Yeah. Well, I would also think that a lot of times when they, at least when I talk to the clients that have that property, it sounds like the um, their ownership tends to be more high maintenance, oftentimes just higher expectations, which I can totally understand, right? Because the management company usually gets a fee, like a percentage, right, of of revenue, or at least a, or of lease up, uh, have some fee for for the lease up year. Um, that that would be relatively higher than if it was a Class B property. So I can understand how they would have higher expectations or higher service levels. Yep. One other thing that occurred to me, and I'll I'll let it rest here, but is do these types of properties typically have more in-source or outsource solutions when it comes to their marketing sphere? Not just us, but just the whole the whole thing. I bring this up and again, recent experience, but with Southernland, which does represent luxury or super luxury brands uh, in Tennessee. When we worked with them, they were building out quite a team um, internally uh, to handle a lot of that stuff, whether it was their social media, whether it was their creative and design. And I can I understand that. Right. There's just, as you said, a little higher maintenance, but just more control that they feel like they have to have when they're putting that kind of effort, that kind of money into an asset, um, which may mean, you know, less of, of the digitals, I guess, working with them. So one more thing. Yeah, I or guess at least maybe. Interest. Or maybe more internal resources, at least as you're saying, because I yeah. I can imagine like it's not running the paid media, but it's doing the other stuff. Like you you talked right. to Rayan a little bit about events or direct mail or whatever, so I could I could see how that would apply. And you're probably not going to have like the property manager draft up like the flyer for Taco Tuesday at that point, right? You're everything's <laughs> just going to be a higher grade, so their design resources are going to be more important. Totally. All right. All right. Well, um, I thought it was great what Rayan pulled together, and um, I I took a lot away from it. Um, so really appreciate her taking the time and sharing it with us. Yeah, Rayan's awesome. We just need to keep her away from TikTok because she was talking about all that money people are making there, and I think she has a future there on the Food Network. But we want to keep her here at Digible. I was trying to think of a show name. Uh, I mean, I guess she could build off of Rachel Ray in some way, like you know, for her TikTok <laughs> food show, but, um, you know, you'd probably learn some new ways to use Siete seasoning though. So yeah, possibly. <laughs> all right, guys, well, stay tuned it. and hope you all enjoy the episode. Okay. We're he- here with Rayanne and Rayanne, you have spent the last number of, well, I shouldn't even, I have almost no background on this, but the last number of months, <laughs> I was going to say researching luxury property, uh, information, and we were just told that, that the work you've done is incredible and to have you on the podcast. So that's about as much background as I have. But Rand, do you want to give us what the heck you've been working on and why we're talking yeah. today? I mean, I'm blushing. Thanks so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been color, working so. <laughs> on this since, <laughs> I don't know, I'd say like August or so. But we just realized that we had um, quite a few properties that were outside of Class A properties. So that were very luxury. Um, so better than, and I shouldn't say better, but uh, more luxurious than your typical class eight properties with a nice pool or in-unit washer and dryer. 
Um, and we noticed that these these properties had a little bit of a different approach. And so we wanted to make sure that we dug into that approach and um, saw what was successful, what hasn't been successful, what are some challenges, and then some different, I mean, some different ways that we can test in the future what could make them even more successful. So that's kind of where it all started. And so we just compiled a whole list and this is where we're at. So this is the strategy that we had come up with. Well, I'm going to dive in and say, what's the, what was the tipping point or is the tipping point? And is it more internal, meaning digital determines what's super luxury? Um, or is it more like what we hear from our, our marketers? Because as you said, the, the class A has, has it, the table stakes, I haven't said it in a while, David, but they keep going up and up. You know, mm-hmm. and I think we talked about that a little at the summit when we were getting into consumerization. It's like you can't get away with just, you know, the the ordinary amenities anymore. And so I think class A feels that more than any other type. Right. It's like yeah. we bet we better have granite countertops, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. What what is a uh, super luxury these days? Like, what does that mean to, to us and to you, Rand? Yeah. So how we defined that was just an apartment that's intended to provide um, any occupant with a higher than average level of comfort. So um, whether that be comfort, quality or convenience. And so a lot of those can be um, not all of them, but um, offering like a penthouse units, um, the full terraces, yards, um, anything that has like a white glove service. So um, a lot of the properties that we looked through within like this study um, had something that was like um, somebody would go get your groceries for you, bring your groceries up to your apartment for you. Um, some of them had like pool butlers and things like that. So something that you wouldn't typically see at a class A property, while these are going to include things like granite countertops, in-unit wash and dryer, you know, amazing appliances. Um, these are the properties that are really above and beyond and their price point is above and beyond. So um, a lot of class A properties, you might not find the same level of competitors within your same market. So, um, you know, rents are going to be much, much higher um, and just have a lot more of that luxury feel to it um, versus like a standard just class A property. Yeah, that's helpful. Um Dave and I often reference you in the park. Um, and now I think the name's mm-hmm. changed, but weren't they the one with the cryogenic like chambers in the lobby or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably the golf simulator and some other stuff. Yeah. 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 So clearly super luxury. Um, I think the price thing is definitely, uh, uh relevant. Um, I, I'd wonder, does that mean that they need to be top 5%, top 1% in a market? Um, obviously we could kind of, uh, reverse engineer that, I guess, um, you know, over time, but anyways, uh, helpful to know. And I'd love to live at one of those places. <laughs> yeah. we all. <laughs> I want at somebody to come take care of my yard. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, cool. Um, so, uh, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on this. So once we've established that, um, we're dealing or you're working with a super luxury, what is the biggest challenge for them? And that's where I assume some of the uniqueness comes in. And, um, maybe I can tee you up with a little bit from a competitive standpoint, as you said, they're not competing with the everyday class A type property. Um, Mm -hmm. Are they competing more with home buyers, with single family, um, or is it just they're competing within that small elite class of super luxury within that market? 
Um, I would say it's more about the competing within that small elite class, um, because what we have found too with a lot of like the information we've received from the properties themselves is not necessarily that they are, um, you know, that individuals are living at these properties because they don't want to live in a home. It's um, sometimes because they have a home somewhere else, but they are traveling. They're, they're business people that are traveling to a certain area. And while they're there, they would like a luxurious experience. Um, and while some of them that is their full-time residence, we're finding that that's not necessarily the case. Um, and so really it's just that targeting within that, um, within that elite stature that, that makes it a little difficult. And I think too, a lot of it is like the qualification, right? So when you don't have, you know, those competitors in the market, um, it's hard to dif- differentiate yourself in terms of like messaging, what makes your luxury property different from the class A that's also calling themselves luxury that's down the street, um, and so looking at that as, in far, as far as targeting, how are you differentiating yourself as in the messaging and then qualification? So trying to differentiate yourself from the class A, um, you know, how do you make sure that you don't end up in that same pool where people are clicking on your ads and saying, oh, I, this looks really nice. I think I could afford this. And then they're getting to the web- website and they're like, there's no way. Um, so I think that's kind of the biggest challenge um, is not only how small of a group that you're targeting, but also differentiating your messaging as compared to the other class A's within the market. Totally. Well, David, I'll let you. Yeah, well, Ryan, tell us how you went about this. Was this more of like an ideation session or were you pulling together super luxury campaigns that we'd done before and then just sort of pulling out like the learnings from those? Just take us through your process. Yeah, this was really based on just the historical information that we have. So campaigns that we've ran in the past and what has made them um, where we've seen success, where we've seen a lot of challenges and what's, um, you know, where we think we could improve or what where we think we could um, do better. Um, so a lot of it is based off of campaigns that we currently have. And, um, you know, we did really notice that a lot of these were um, a lot of conversation was um while some of these properties might have higher budgets, higher spend amounts, um, you have to be a little bit smarter about how you spend those and where you spend those dollars. And so uh, what kind of marketing mix makes sense? Where have we seen success in each platform? And then, um, you know, how do you make optimizations to make it better? This might not be a fair question, but I'll ask if you have a sense of it. You mentioned higher budgets and how it's a more expensive unit. So like, I don't know, let's say that a luxury unit is 3000 bucks. Would a super luxury be like 4000 bucks for like a cost, just get, to give me some perspective? And then uh, does their marketing budget correlate? So if they charge like 25% more, have you seen that they spend like 25% more on their marketing? Yeah, I would say so. Um, so, I mean, typically, so the, depending on the market that we've seen, so the properties that we looked at were in various areas. So not all of them, um, when you think of like luxury, like these luxury like penthouses and stuff like that, not all of them were featured in like a downtown area. So that did make a little bit of a difference mm-hmm. as far as like what they had spent. So some of them were um, like one property is like outside of Nashville, even though like Nashville is really great. They're not directly downtown. They're in more of like a, not a suburb, but an outside area of Nashville one of them was in Seattle. Um, and so it just kind of depended on the market. But we did see that um, with the higher with the higher rent amount, they were spending a higher budget. And I think, too, that's because you have to um, look at where you're targeting in different in different platforms. Um, so this is looking at a completely different niche type of um, prospect. And so you can those typical channels like paid search, social display, 
all of those are really great um, platforms to use. But what we're looking at is things outside of that. So how can we utilize platforms like LinkedIn, native advertising, Spotify, especially now that Spotify has things like um, ads and podcasts. Um, So looking outside of those traditional channels and um, utilizing those because those do offer um, a different type of prospect as well. Yeah, well, uh, that makes sense to me. I mean, when when I was in Seattle last year, we toured a couple of what I think would classify as these super luxury because, I mean, the rents were like 9,500 bucks to 12,000 bucks a month. Um, Mm -hmm. And so at that point, like uh, I can understand how you might run the traditional channels, but you probably need additional budget unless you just have like, I guess, a huge gap in the market and there's not a lot of options. Um, So do you see them spending almost the same on those normal platforms that you talk to, like search and social, and then they spend the overage, if you will, testing those other platforms that you're mentioning? Or does Um, it work different? I would say yes and no. Some of them um, were very similar, but some of them spent, um, I would say their search budgets are a little bit higher because you do have to be a little bit more specific in your keyword targeting than you are um, with traditional properties. So um, making sure that your budgeted amounts like um, specifically like cost and like floor plan keywords. So when we're spending more dollars in those floor plan and cost keyword campaigns, those typically do have a higher cost per click. And so that re- does require a little bit higher of a budget in order to make sure that you're receiving the same volume of conversions. So um, I will say that the paid search campaigns were a little bit higher. Um, things like um, display or geofencing, um, those might be a little bit um, similar to other traditional properties. Because um, when you're purchasing on impression, um, you're still getting the same impression volume, right? Um, just messaging is a little bit different. So depending on the platform, I would say the budgets are can be similar, but paid search was definitely a little bit higher. Yeah, they're probably, I would think, high, higher click costs than too, or yeah. is that not right? Yeah, the higher click costs specifically because you're targeting, um, you're so, the hyper focus is on floor plan costs and like floor plan availability, um, and then things like penthouse, like, so you have to imagine not as high a volume of searches are happening for penthouses, um, as it would be for typical, just like an apartment in your area. And so because of the nature of that, your cost is going to be higher. Mm, okay. Um, so I don't know how much of a sense you have for this ran, uh, but outside of our role, I'll say within these super luxury apartments on the digital marketing front, uh, what that looks like for them, like how they're filling out their marketing strategy. So um, I'll, I'll give you two clear examples here. One would be locators and maybe that wouldn't be considered as much marketing, but you know, as far as what kind of resources they deploy in order to get leased up. So Dave and I, it's been months since we talked to that guy, David from Chicago, uh, Jason, he founded an apartment locating service there. And we were a little surprised, maybe I was more than David, just how much success they're having and how much growth is still out there with apartment locators, um, given all the, you know, tech, you know, digital and tech, uh, technological like solutions. And, uh, it would seem he's probably working with this type of clientele. You don't hire an apartment locator to find, you know, your everyday apartment. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't know, again, if, if you got any sense of that, but with these types of uh, apartments, is that more common that they are using locators as well? 
And then the other example is traditional media. We hardly ever see that with our our clients. They just don't have the budget to support like a, a radio campaign or a small TV campaign or, you know, they often don't do direct mail, all that stuff. Part of it's efficiency, but a lot of it's also budget. So do you have any sense outside of, you know, how the digital strategy might change in those channels, um, you know, for what else they might be spending on? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really hear any differences in terms of um, ultra luxury property being different from like locators or even um, traditional marketing. Um, from my experience working with a couple of these clients, it they haven't really mentioned on like, hey, we, we know we're going to spend more in like direct mail or we're going to even do direct mail or anything like that. Um, a lot of it still is very similar to we're going to put up a banner, we're going to let people know that we're here. And that's about as far as our traditional marketing goes. Um, and then utilizing locators. Um, yes, I mean, a lot of the clients that we talk to try to get away from those locators. Um, but um, I haven't seen a huge difference. Um, but it's not surprising to me that locators would still be successful. I mean, I, I would consider locators to be almost like the influencer marketing of apartments. Um, there's actually a couple locators that I know here in Denver and a lot of it, um, their success is really based off of like building a social following, just meeting people, going out and meeting people. So that's not super surprising to me that they, um, that he had said that there's still a lot of success in those. So that's interesting. It'd be interesting to see how that could correlate back to these kinds of properties. Totally. Well, the one other uh, area outside of our typical responsibility is is PR. And so, mm -hmm. again, using that reference of you in the park, they had hired a PR firm to really try and you know, promote the world-renowned uh, like architecture designer that did the building, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's not easy, obviously. That, that takes time and quite a bit more money. So, um, but I appreciate that. You know, I guess, you know, you still can be really effective without deploying all those extra resources. It's kind I mean, of and we have, I guess, our own PR type of solution. I think like we've used native advertising in that way to um, create a sort of PR, PR like buzz um, because those placements are, you can, you know, get those placements on um, great publications like Entrepreneur Magazine and things like that. And so I think that was kind of um, as far as like our digital um, approach to it is that native is similar, more cost effective way, at least um, in my mind, to be able to deploy PR type strategies um, for a property if that investment isn't there too. Well, that's a great point. And my guess is most of the people that listen to the, our podcast aren't super familiar with native. I mean, even some of the marketers we've been working with for, for a few years now, uh, it's still not in their comfort zone. So do you mind uh, just... Uh, unpacking that a little bit more, simplifying it. I think you kind of started to go there, but what does a typical native campaign look like? Yeah, totally. So um, native campaigns, um, like I said, I consider them to be a little bit more of like a cost-effective PR approach. So they're going to be an article-based platform, um, not platform, but like a service um, where you're going to have um, an article about your property could be about um, the property as it is, or that it's a new build, it's coming soon, anything like that. Um, and it's really just taking over a section of a publication. So um, you have your article about the property um, on that page. You're also going to have like display images, Facebook links um, to be able to just really take over the whole page. And then these are sponsored content that you would see, um, sponsored content articles that you would see like within um, like Entrepreneur Magazine, 
um, the, you know, Wall Street Journal, things like that, um, those types of publications that will have those sponsored content. Um, and so it's a way to get on those publications without having to essentially reach out individually to every publication and pay a really high dollar um, for them to feature you because those organic um, newsletters are very, very expensive. They're super expensive and not always um, lucrative for um, for clients. And so um, native advertising is a really great way to almost get around that and have a more cost effective way to get information about your property. I think the biggest thing about being article based is you're allowed or able to get as much information as possible. You know, think of an article that's 250 plus words. You can put a lot of information in that um, about your property and really draw the prospect towards um, making that decision on if they want to live there or not, or if that property is going to fit them or not. Um, and so I think it's a really great way, especially if you have like a new build, um, these luxury properties, just to get a lot of information in one snippet um, and get on major publications. Yeah, totally. Couldn't agree more on that piece. Just like getting it to educate or communicate more when you're running a search campaign or you're running like paid social or something, there's only so much real estate. So you're really yeah. relying on them to click through to educate. Whereas with native, you're, you're educating them up front. Therefore, theoretically, you need more qualified lead if they do engage like, you know, with the website or move on, you know, to, uh, to contact the property. But yeah, David, I, mean, I especially if they have like, um, like amenities that you wouldn't see otherwise that might need a little bit more explanation. Like what is a concierge service? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean for me as a resident? Um, so things like that are really great, um, things to feature inside those articles as well, just to get information. It's like information overload, but in the best way possible. Yeah. And I, I feel like in some of the ones I've gotten to work with you on, um, what's also cool about the native is you can, I think, do a better picture or do a better job of painting the picture of the full neighborhood instead of just the property. So um, it really is selling the whole community, like meaning the outside uh, community as well, which is cool. Just not something you typically can really get at through standard digital advertising channels. But yeah. uh, I made this tee up for you and David, but I see, you know, a segment here devoted just to, to the SEO. So I'm really curious to hear how that may differ or what best practices are when it comes to SEO uh, for these kind of super luxury brands. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a shock that these luxury properties, um, when we're talking about SEO, that imagery is obviously really important. Um, and that, that's important for all channels. But really in SEO, we talked a lot about, um, especially for digital and how we um, structure our SEO services is looking at your Google My Business, looking at the website, uh, making sure that you have high quality images. Um, and then the other part of that too, was a lot of content, um, content recommendations, and then how you're um, creating additional content on your site. So do you have penthouse um, penthouses, are those available? Um, our recommendation is always to make sure that you have a separate additional page within your website that talks about the penthouses or talks about the concierge ser services in detail. Um, so that way, when um, prospects are searching for your property and those types of keywords come up, like, hey, I'm looking for an apartment with um, you know, professional dog walkers, um, your apartment community shows up. Um, so that's really important for SEO is just making sure that your content is built out a whole lot. And then again, the, the imagery is really great. Um, and if you have video imagery, that's, that's even better. Um, especially for your Google, my business listing. 
Well, <clears throat> I feel like I need someone that would help me spell concierge. Uh, <laughs> you know what my actual new move is, Reed, is that I I know that your girls are way into Alexa, uh, but I will actually talk to my phone whenever I don't know how to spell a word. So I would right now I'd be asking it like, you know, Google, how do I con- spell concierge? So if you guys ever catch me talking to my phone, you know, I don't know how to spell whatever I'm <laughs> whatever I'm saying. Um yeah, so you mentioned uh, for SEO, I'll just highlight that for a second, the the extra amenities in the copy. But uh, a lot of folks are constantly trying to rank above apartments.com or the ILSs um, in search, and they find it challenging if it's a standard apartment building. But if you, what we've seen is that you can actually get there for some pretty common things like Tesla charging station. It's very easy to actually start ranking number one or number two for apartments with Tesla charging station Um above the ILSs. And so to your point, like if someone's looking like apartments with dog walker or whatever, which probably has very low search volume, because I wouldn't have even known to search for that. uh, You might as well have the content there so you you can rank for when it does show up. Uh, And then to your point, then I guess you would want it in your ad copy or you'd want to inform people somehow, right? So uh, maybe this will take you into creative, but like what kind of creative would you feature? Because previously we've had Megan on and she's talked about how uh, kitchens, like uh, kitchen images perform better on social, for example, or floor plan images outperform everything else. So is that any different here? Or do you actually try to, is it okay to focus on the amenities or do you want to? Because I imagine your cost per lead is going to go up. Um, but do you still want to use the typical tactics or is there different types of creative and targeting that you would use instead for these? Yeah, so um, our focus for creative is definitely still, so we still want to, you know, um, do what works, right? But then also, I think our theory on this is to do what works, but also add another layer to it. So um, I, with, the high, with the higher budgets, you're also able to get a little bit more variation with your ads. And so um, not only are we kind of sticking to some of the traditional things that we do know work and convert, but also adding in another layer to that. So um, some of the imagery, depending on the property. So if your property has, um, you know, uh, floor to ceiling windows, uh, make sure you're focusing those. The terraces, if you have, you know, your own private balcony, your own private, um, I guess, backyard or terrace area, um, making sure that you're um, highlighting those types of things. Um, Depending on the amenities, if the amenities are something very specific, like a Tesla charging station, like, yes, you do want to make sure that you're focusing on that as well, um, because that just lets people know that this property is very different from what you would see um, than a typical class A property. Um, Again, I think the name of the game with luxury properties is just making sure that you are differentiating yourself from anything that is typically class A. So while we're still going to highlight things in the kitchen, you might highlight things that are um, more like smart appliances that you might not see um, in class A properties or um, highlighting the um, you know, the open floor plans of a kitchen with floor to ceiling windows. So um, while it might be similar, you're just kind of wanting to make sure that you're differentiating yourself um, as much as possible from a typical class A. Yeah, I mean, targeting with, um, I mean, with apartments in general, we know that it's, um, it, it can be difficult, right? Because um, you have certain limitations and restrictions. Um, and with class A, that's probably one of the biggest challenges is with targeting um, because you want to make sure that you're getting your product out there. But, um, you know, how do you target correctly without um, having low quality, low quality of leads? And so I think that is the most 
common challenge for um, ultra luxury properties. And so um, a lot of what we do um, is, again, doing what works, but also adding another layer. So adding layers for um, more interest targeting for things like um, those with purchase history of luxury items or interest in luxury items. So um, is this person interested in a Tesla? Um, you know, there's, there is a little bit of a difference between interest in a Tesla versus actual purchase intent of a Tesla. Um, so that's one thing that we do make sure we try to differentiate is not just the interest in it, but also the purchase intent, um, for those luxury items. Um, just because I could want a Tesla all day long and look it up on Google, it doesn't mean I can afford one. Um, so that's kind of where we differentiate that there. And then also looking at things like frequent travelers, um, you know, anyone that's looking for furnished units sometimes, because um, those luxury properties can have just furnished units for someone ready to just move in. Um, again, being frequent business um, business prospects that, you know, might just be have a second home somewhere. Um, so looking at those furnished units. Um, and so, yeah, targeting is, I mean, it's, it's probably the hardest, but definitely layering in some additional audience information as far as um, travelers, investors, and things like that, I think is where we find a little bit more of our sweet spot um, as far as getting um, not just prospects, but qualified prospects. Yeah, cool. I was just thinking, uh, Reed, I actually had an electric car when I was a child. Do you remember those like power rides? Uh, <laughs> did you ever get, did your girls ever get into those where you have to load them up with like two car batteries and then they go around the block? they've seen a couple of kids driving around in those in the neighborhood and you know we shut that down pretty quickly i just said it was a safety <laughs> issue <laughs> i really just didn't want to pay the 400 dollars to see one of those like flame out after six months so yeah. we we're able to avoid those they do have the electric scooters though well those are probably super actually is more of a safety hazard than the than the power rides yeah yeah come to think of it no no airbags that's for sure yeah. I fell off one when I was little, so I'm scarred for life. <laughs> what, the scooter? Yeah, well, yeah the don't, scooter. Don't yeah. share that story with my girls. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I couldn't uh, get over it. I was like, I have not seen these things in forever, but I, my grandfather used to, he was, always went to garage sales, and so he had like a half dozen, like a fleet of them in his garage, and so we were just uh, constantly burning the batteries whenever we went over to his place. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't like want to buy one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I can come back to uh, when I was asking you about other marketing channels, and at some point you mentioned influencer marketing. So uh, I think, David, it was two years ago, maybe when we we're at AIM or Optech or NA, somebody was talking about, I think it was AIM when they, that, that Graystar community went out and got like some uh, country singer to, like to market. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people were excited about that, but I think there's also a lot of people in the audience that were kind of rolling their eyes being like, yeah, whatever, like we don't have that kind of budget or, you know, that's just pie in the sky type stuff. So, um, setting you up on this ran, have you, have you heard much of that? Um, and is there a lower level entry, I guess, or opportunity there with influencer marketing? Cause all of us understand. And I think you also said this already, it's a small circle of prospects and that is what makes the targeting more difficult. Therefore also can make that influencer marketing that much more powerful or valuable. Right. And it doesn't have to be necessarily a, a local 
celebrity or country singer. It could just be one of these folks in that group that is willing to help, you know, market, market the property. Um, but yeah, if, if you have any, I guess, comments, insights, thoughts on influencer marketing, like for super luxury, I think, you know, that's an interesting, uh, I guess, concept. Yeah, I think, um, I think influencer marketing can be, it can be useful in the right ways, but it's difficult. And I think it's really difficult to achieve with apartments in, in particular, um, even luxury, uh, super luxury apartments, just because um, this isn't like a, you know, a fifteen twenty dollar purchase that you're making uh, one time. This is, um, you know, where you're living, and usually for twelve months, um, sometimes more. Um, and so, I don't know. I think that with influencer marketing, um, I would say it's maybe a little bit different. So, as we were talking about like locators and things like that, I think that is probably um, I would consider that a form of almost influencer marketing. Um, like I mentioned, a lot of those locators they have to have a really good social following. They're um, they're like real estate people where they just have like really great personalities and they just go out and they meet people. And then they're like, Hey, I have this, you know, great apartment. And then, um, you know, they're posting things on their social media channels, like this apartment's ready. Um, but as far as, um, influencer marketing, um, in a quote unquote traditional sense and utilizing somebody that lives at the property to promote that property. Um, I think that it can work. It just really depends on, um, what your expectation is out of that. I think where we've seen the most success is looking at um, not even luxury properties, but in like student housing more than um, traditional apartment communities, um, because that is such, I feel like student housing is um, what we've seen is the um, like that college age is there's, there's um, such a sense of community sense of group that um, people are like, Oh, where's that person living? I would love to live there. Um, but as far as ultra luxury properties, um, with the price points being as high as they are, sometimes you might not find um, the individual that um, is super social media savvy or wants to be on social media or really cares about the social media. Um, I mean, you could utilize that person, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I would rely on it as a way of selling units. I think that the locators would be more of what I would consider influencer marketing for apartments rather than in the traditional sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, in a nutshell, it wouldn't be part of your playbook, but um, circumstantially, maybe it might make sense for a property to take. If to you tell. have somebody there, absolutely. If you have somebody there, you know they have a great following. You know that they're um, that they're there. Um, absolutely, it's worth reaching out. I mean, and um, that could be an opportunity where you know you could do some negotiations where maybe it's not you're paying them out of pocket, or maybe hey, we'll discount rent or like whatever that looks like. Um, but um, as far as like, you know, trying to find the influencer to move into the property in order to promote it. Um, I think that's just a really long way around it. Yeah. Well, last question on this. Oh, go ahead, dude. Well, I was just going to say like for that, you on the park property, since you brought it up, the, they were saying that they actually had a lot of celebrities that live there. So like one of the Jonas brothers is one of them who had a spot there and they didn't want they didn't want publicity. They had picked the property, not just because it was nice, but because it was also kind of sheltered. It wasn't a very visible property uh, and they wanted to keep their privacy. So not that, I mean, a lot of influencers that I've seen people use don't live at the property, but they'll, whatever, they'll still like tour it or something and show it to their audience. But, you know, generally speaking, a lot of those folks don't want the attention. So that can make it more challenging. Totally. Uh, validating Rand's point. Um, 
What about events? Uh, that seems like to me a pretty sensible strategy. You know, it's like you obviously want people to come in the door and see it. And, uh, you know, beyond like the open house, I just didn't know um, if that is a common part of the, of this strategy or playbook or what you've heard. Uh, I think almost too stereotypically, but like shows you watch on TV, you know, and whether they're marketing a beautiful home or whether it is multifamily, um, they often will kick things off or try to sustain some level of events because uh, they know that the the community will sell itself. So I just didn't know if, uh, yeah, you heard much about that or if, if you think that typically these types of properties get more budget for, for resident events. Um, I mean, not that I've heard, not that any of my clients have um, really discussed a whole lot about was just was providing events. I think coming off of David's point as well, um, those that might live in these communities um, could also want just like a sense of security and um, seclusion. Um, so hosting events for people to come in, look at the property might not be a current resident want, um, and therefore could deter a property from doing that. Um, however, I will say, I think events and hosting events for, um, standard properties or class A properties where you want, where you do want people to live there. Maybe it's not as, um, exclusive, um, not quite an exclusive club, like an ultra luxury property would be. Um, I think that's a great idea. I think that's something where um, you can really get, um, you know, hosting hosting things to make it seem a little bit more lavish if it is a class A property and you want it to be a little bit more on the luxury side, I think is um, a great way to go about it. But for ultra luxury properties, I think that um, it's like an exclusive club and the, and the members that are in it almost want to um, keep that hidden and, and keep it um, low key, I would say. Yeah. Well, th- th- that makes sense. Um, David, I was thinking about Sutherland. You know, we worked with them last year and uh, Erica did a lot of social campaigns, I guess, organic work for them. And I remember they were constantly doing events and they were on that, I think, kind of more super luxury level. Um, and I thought they really did that well, really strategically. Um, I think it's... I have a, well, Rita, I was just going to say, I think it's less about attracting new customers, those events, and it's more about the building the community aspect of the current customer, right? Which I think, Ryan, you were talking more about current customer, but even back to the U on the park, they had a dedicated on-site event person and it's, they spent, I forget what it was, like 20 grand a month or something on events because, uh, and it was like, you know, box seats at the, at the local sports team. And they had like, you know, uh, sommeliers coming in and different things. So, Anyways, I think I could see that, but also you you got to look at a different ROI for that. That's more about like retention or I, I think than at least like, you know, lead generation. Yeah. The, and I wonder what the NOI looks like on these uh, luxury versus like uh, more classic type A. Um, and that's all I can say, like, because if it was if it was really appealing, right. You know, then when there'd be more of them out there, of course, there's only so many that can afford these types of uh, communities. But I think, but both of you guys are saying in essence is when it comes to events, when it comes to um, any kind of non-traditional, I guess, approaches um, to marketing it, it is more focused on the current resident than it is uh, on the outside. Cause like you said, they prefer to, to be kind of a best kept secret type, um, you know, mindset. Uh, what about the leasing velocity? And I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this, Ram, but d- 
do these types of communities, uh, is it more protracted? You know, so if one of these comes online, what might be typical for a type A, you know, meaning 18 months, maybe it's 12, uh, might take two or three years, or is the time period to get leased up fairly, uh, comparable to, to what you'd expect with a type A. I know there's a bunch of variables here, so you just have to try and normalize this picture. It's like, you know, if you're, you're in Denver and, and you just bring one of these properties like online, uh, and you're trying to set expectations like with the owner, like, do you think that that's going to be a longer time period or, or something similar, or do you have any idea? And David, if you, if you feel better equipped to answer by all means, I think that, um, I think it is a little bit longer of a time period, um, depending on the market, of course, but, um, I think it is a little bit longer of a time period looking at just some of the historical performance that we've seen from some of these properties, the lead volume, um, sometimes isn't as high. And then also you're seeing just, um, a higher, um, cost release. So you're seeing just a higher, um, a lower lead volume, which, means that you're just not getting um, quite as many in the door. And then once you do get them in the door, um, depending, you can have a little bit more challenges as far as qualification. So um, I would say it is a little bit longer. Um, just and, and I think that also depends like on the market, like read if, if you're saying, you know, in Denver, um, it, it depends on, I think, location and the market for it. Um, and what kind of the, you know, is this like the only luxury property in that market? Or is this, you know, have fairly similar um, luxury properties within the area? Because I think that makes a difference as well. David, anything to add on that? Well, it's interesting. Well, more of just a comment on the on the lower lead volume, because uh, when I worked with luxury homes and with uh, cars, car dealerships, oftentimes the higher end would get more, I don't want to say more leads, but I guess like in some ways they'd get more leads, uh, less uh, qualified leads because they got people that just wanted to come in and see what's this like $3 million house or, you know, what is this $150,000 car? I want to take it for a test drive. I don't have to do a credit app first. Right. Um, So I guess it is a positive thing that this industry doesn't suffer from the same, I guess, tire kickers uh, that have no intent. Uh, as some of the other categories I've dealt with. Yeah. Well, what about retention, Ray? And uh, I think you or David mentioned it, um, just, uh, you know, given uh, all that they do uh, for some of those examples we talked about, uh, you know, with the the events and like basically the pampering of these residents, um, you would expect that it's a big focus, right? To keep these people living there versus uh, risk losing them. So, um, retention rate, any sense of that, like common in the industry we know is about 50%, but you know, are they typically more 70, 80%? And David, uh, after Ann answers that, um, maybe you could share a little bit about your, you and Nicole's experience on that simul search that you guys hosted here. Cause if I remember right, David, you said a lot of these folks will stay in these buildings for years. So, um, yeah, I'll let Ryan kind of talk to the speak to the rate retention first, and then would love for you to share a few of those insights you guys got from that focus group. 
Yeah, I don't have a lot of insight um, as far as retention rate, but I do know with the clients that I've talked to that, that I mean, it obviously is a huge focus and that they have dedicated like internal teams to customer relations. So where you would typically only have, you know, um, like a leasing manager um, and then um, a couple others within the leasing office that they have some dedicated on-site teams, um, either one or multiple people um, to make sure that, um, you know, just occupant relations are great. So um, while I don't have a number to put to it, I will say that's definitely a focus for um, a lot of the, the, the clients that we work with. Yeah. And for the, for the focus group that we did here, uh, we went to the, uh, for 10 years, this building was the uh, most luxury uh, building in Denver and the average rent was like 10 grand. And we had 12 people that uh, joined our focus group and all, but if I remember correctly, all but two of them, had uh, had lived there for more than four years, and so that property now yeah, was over ten years old. Uh, but those folks were people that had previously owned a home and then wanted uh, were tired of dealing with the maintenance, uh, and they also wanted more of a community because when they all owned a home, they just felt like they didn't have like as much of a community as they had once they moved into the property. And then once they moved into the property, like that that property spends a lot of time both on those. Uh, uh, events that we were talking about, like resident events, but also like the the tenants there had done an excellent job of just trying to get to know their neighbors and host events, like different, you know, like, I don't know, wine and cheese nights and things like that. So they all knew each other and they were all best of friends. And they said that none of them had plans to ever move back out of a property because of the community that they had then built up. However, there was a new property opening called Sugar Cube, and they all had known were paying attention to that property because it was now a, another step up. It was like, oh well, you know, it now the rent is twelve thousand bucks a month or whatever, uh, and it had some new new amenities, and so they they all had interest in it and were watching it closely. So I think there's just like a different type of clientele that's watching uh, these types of properties and are interested. But Rand, you had mentioned earlier that some of these folks are like coming in for business purposes. So while that focus group, they all were very long time tenants, that's different than some of the other super luxury properties that I've heard where people are like, well, this is a, an executive from Amazon will move in here and it's only his like weekday house and his weekend house, you know, is out, you know, a two hour drive away. So is that accurate? And also, do you see shorter leases being signed for some of these? So someone that's like, okay, I've, I'm coming into town for business. I've got like six months, but I want a really nice place for six months before I'm out of here. Yeah, I'd say it was um, almost a mix. So the ones, the properties that did have um, those executive type of relationships were um, definitely a little bit shorter of leases. Um, but then also they had a couple where, you know, people were just kind of staying there if they weren't in that type of situation. So, um, you know, we have seen where we have, um, properties that are very much focused on, um, furnished units and, um, short-term rentals for those executives. And those are a little bit shorter. And then, you know, we've seen others that have been like long-term, long-term homes, second homes, long-term second homes too, um, as well. So I think it's a little bit of a mix of both. David, how impressed uh, was that uh, those or how impressed were those residents with your uh, charcuterie board from uh, King Supers and your, your uh, yellowtail Chardonnay? Well, the, 
good thing for them was that I didn't provide the, the food or drink. That was actually Elaine who brought the food and drink, who I thought was obviously the perfect person to bring it for that type of Smart move. person myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't even ask her. She we just were, said, I'll take care of it. So I think she knew better because I would have been there like peeling the, you know, peeling the, not, the, the sticky film off of like whatever I picked up from the plastic tray. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, we wouldn't want to blemish on Digimal's reputation with the the who's who of Denver. Yeah. Well, well Ryan. Um, Ryan, yeah, I think we're going the same place. Anything else um, that you think's meaningful or valuable to share uh, with our listeners about super luxury, you know, apartments? You know, I think we've covered a lot of it. Um, I think the main focus for these properties is just to, um, again, focus on how you're differentiating yourselves from those typical class A's. So um, how are you highlighting um, from not only paid media, but to your social media strategies, your um, your in-unit luxuries, the amenities, and the lifestyle that's that really encompasses the entire property, you know? So not only is it the price point, but it's it's the luxury feel that happens with living there and living within the community and living within that location. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, like I said, the name of the game is just different being a differentiator, um, from typical class A because, um, people see class A all the time and they're used to seeing class A and the word luxury come together. And so, um, when you truly are luxury, um, you really have to kind of go above and beyond. And I think we've covered everything that you have to do, you know, good imagery, great videos, um, calling out some local spots, talking about targeting and your price point, um, everything like that. I think mixing it all all together makes for a pretty good formula. Well, that's great. And this was awesome. Very informative as we expected. <laughs> uh, I didn't squeeze in connected TV uh, in my whole question about different marketing tech tactics or strategies. And I think you have some experience with this. I want to say maybe with IMT, but um, do you think that that's, uh, another, I guess, good strategy? More people are talking about it now, uh, David and I, and maybe you, you had experience with the two Ryan before we came into multifamily, but, um, you know, a lot of times it's higher minimums. Some of that stuff is changing that landscape, but, uh, for those that don't know connected TV, it's just, you know, for the cord cutters out there that don't have standard cable or just streaming, being able to get the property in front of that audience. Um, right now, a lot of people say it's a little bit more high you know, uh, more affluent, you know, higher end. And so maybe it's a good match for, for these big luxury brands that are trying to get their, you know, yeah, their brand out there. Any thoughts on the connected TV? Yeah, I think connected TV is a great value. Um, very similar to things like Spotify, where you can be a little bit more specific in how you're targeting, because it's more about behaviors and not necessarily, or, um, or interests, but not necessarily, um, targeting, um, things like you would in like paid search. Um, so I think that because you can target things like behaviors and what, you know, what types of shows or what types of podcasts or what types of things that these, um, that you, the prospects would be listening to or watching, um, I think it's a great benefit. And, um, you know, I'll also say that I think that anything, um, that people see on TV, I think automatically gets kind of that higher value to it. Um, because it's such a wide medium that, um, people are so used to, you know, you could see any, 
any, any like Joe Schmo ad on um, social media. And, um, you know, I'm sure you guys have bought something, maybe, I don't know, maybe just me, but I bought something from social media and you're like, the quality of this sucks. Um, so um, I think when you're putting something on TV, then that does have kind of a little bit more of a affluent feel to it. Um, and same thing too, if like you're talking about um, different channels, like things like LinkedIn or looking again, native advertising, like these differentiators have just different ways of um, targeting the prospects that you want to see. And so um, I definitely think connected TV is a great resource um, for any of these ultra luxury properties. The biggest qualifier there, not that you couldn't put the same creative on YouTube and connected TV, but I've seen it uh, at least in the past where people thought that they could get away with repurposing a YouTube video onto connected TV. And uh, part of it depends on your category, but you really got to make sure you invest in some great production. If you're going to, if you're going to go that route, it's not something to me that's super transferable between all video platforms. Well, I'd oh, say sure. like the biggest thing is avoiding like the slideshow with music. Right. Like maybe right. you would do that on, on yeah. YouTube, but if you, you, you'll want more of like a, a true authentic video on a connected. Now I could, I could understand if someone in the audience was like, wait, wait a minute, why would I do connected TV? Cause isn't that kind of like the people that don't pay for it, don't, that don't pay for the channel get served the ad. So wouldn't the fluent people be paying for the channel? Um, and I, my answer to that is I was really surprised at the Spotify results that we saw. Whereas it was still like 50% of the people that have Spotify make, uh, were making over a hundred thousand dollars, the ones that we, on the campaigns that we ran. So there were still quite a few people that weren't paying the whatever, 10 bucks a month for the Spotify premium. And yet we were able to target with our ads. So I, I would think the same thing would go with connected and just more from personal experience as well. Like there are just so many like networks now, like those, uh, sub subscription networks, like Paramount plus and Peacock what have you it's like we uh, nicole and i watch the office co almost every day like uh whatever the old shows of that and we don't pay for the peacock subscription so we get served the connected tv uh it's kind of fun i i don't mind seeing the ads it's been a while since i've seen commercials so i've enjoyed it well yeah i was gonna say i i even pay for like no ad versions and there are some shows that are like hey this is a you have you have to get served an ad here due to like streaming rights or something. So hmm. I even pay for some sub subscriptions that are no ad versions and some shows or some seasons are still have to have ads. So um, just because it's being paid for doesn't mean that you're always not going to get an ad too. Yeah. Well, Ryan, that drives me bonkers a, about Spotify. Oh, yeah. I was just going to call Rayanne a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> she works for a digital advertising company, but... Uh, she, she opts out of all the ads. You know That's what? Okay. I blame it on my husband because he, <laughs> he gets enraged if he sees an advertisement. So <laughs> yeah, no, the number of times that I'll like try and show a video to my wife or the girls and then a pre-roll hits and I, 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 try to hold back some expletives and it's like, Oh wait, that's how I make a living. <laughs> I, think, I think the worst is when I'm trying to play bluey for my one-year-old and cause he's losing his mind. <laughs> he's very upset. And we get an ad before this, the intro comes on. He's still not totally. doing great. So that's definitely when the ads need to go. <laughs> wait, wait until he starts watching TikTok videos and you're in real trouble. He likes to watch my TikToks. I, <laughs> I he's them with me. It's, it's bad. It's already bad. <laughs> I bet. 
that's another one, you know, again, uh, we're talking about all these kind of platforms you might not think of, but you know, TikTok, I think is possible for luxury, even though I, maybe a lot of people think it's just for the young hip crowd that, you know, whatever hipsters like in that class, A. I I think there's an angle there for, for the luxury too. It's just all in like the, the, you know, approach, um, you know, the creative that you're producing and, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> They just came out with a list of TikTokers that made like the most money last year and the one that made the least money or like the top five or the fifth person on the list made like $4.75 million last year. So holy cow. there's, there's still some, there's a lot of TikTokers making some good money. <laughs> well, hopefully we don't lose you to TikTok, Ryan. We're happy with you right here at Digible. No way, man. But we'll say we can, uh, you know. We, I'm not hip we, enough for that. <laughs> Uh, don't sell yourself self short. You could do something with burritos, you know, that would be. Yeah, I probably angle. could be cooking channel, you know. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, this was terrific. Um, David, you got any other questions for Ryan? This is great. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. No, thank you guys for having me. It was fun. All right. Guys, All right. Well. well, if you're marketing a super luxury apartment, then uh, you know where to come. Her name <laughs> is Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time.